0: The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Thanks, Blair. I didn't. I didn't know how he was going to introduce me, so I was thinking, what am I going to say? I don't have to say anything. He said. He said way more than than I even deserve to be said about me. So thank you for that. And uh, Carrie Leach is our Young Lives Coordinator, who brings this team of women together to love teens, teen mamas, and their babies, and then tell them about Jesus. And so I just wanted, I mean, on behalf of her, on behalf of New Braunfels Young Life, thank you guys for the generous gift you gave us on your grand opening on uh, January 5th. That means a ton to us that you believe in what we do. So I just want to say once again, thank you for that. Um, I am going to pick up where Blair left off. I talked to Blair when he asked me um, if I would jump in and preach for him. I love this. I love getting a chance to do this. I couldn't do it every week. I have a tremendous amount of respect for Blair and my other pastor friends who do it week in and week out. Um, Wrestling with the text is fun. Um, It's a lot of work, and they're amazing people. And so for me to do it every now and then, it's almost like I get the bonus. I get the easy part. Um, But I did say to Blair, I said, he he gave me a choice. He said, you can preach whatever you want or you can jump in where I'm at. And I said, "Let's just jump in. That way, the, the the text tells us where to go instead of me just picking a topic and going with it." So we are going to be in Mark chapter 12. Before we do that, I want to start by sharing a little bit about me, but it's going to lead into the text. So if you'll bear with me, um, I was born in a really small town called Baird, Texas, near Abilene. I don't. Probably very few of you have even heard of Baird, Texas. But I was born in a small town and I grew up in a place where my parents made me go to church. I'm just gonna be very honest with you guys, it's kind of my story. They made me go to church every Sunday, but I did not like going to church. In fact, when I was a teenager, I would fall asleep in church and I snored out loud. So my, my mom would elbow me with sharp elbows to keep me awake. And so I had this vision of God that God was was kind of um he was boring to me as a teenager. I thought, I don't really want to get to know God. I was I was looking for something more. I was looking for this fullness of life. And for me as a teenager, I didn't, I didn't think that's where, where it was. I was looking for an, an adventure in other places. So I grew up this way. And by the way, I've never met anybody that wasn't designed that way. I don't know about you guys, I've never met anybody that said, I'm looking for an empty life. I'm looking for a sad and <laughs> depressed life. That's the life for me. Every, we're all designed with this desire to live a full life. And so, of course, I didn't, I didn't know anything about God putting that there. So I was looking for that, and I got to go to college, and my parents couldn't make me go to church anymore. So I didn't go to church. I joined a fraternity. I chased girls. which I chased girls in high school, too. Um, and I, uh, I partied a lot and did everything that comes with partying, thinking this is the full life. This is where it's at. This is what I'm going to do. And, and there were tastes of excitement and joy and, and fun stuff, but there were also a lot of regrets, there was a lot of mood swings, and it wasn't really giving me that feeling, that filling me up that I wanted. And so I tried other things, I tried sports, I tried school, and I remember as a freshman at the fraternity I went to in the student center, one of my pledge brothers pointed at a guy, and he said, that guy is always happy. That guy, everybody loves that guy. He's awesome, and I thought, that's it, that's who I wanna be. So I'm gonna be this outgoing, super friendly, happy guy, I'm an introverted 19-year-old boy from a small town in a huge university, Texas Tech University. Don't, don't judge me. Um, <laughs> Patrick Mahomes went there. Um, so um, so I'm, I'm at Texas Tech University trying to be somebody I'm not, and that left me exhausted, even, even more empty. My sophomore year, my, young, my middle brother comes to college and a couple other high school friends, and we, we do something crazy. We, we start going to church again. Us four said, hey, we're going to really it was those three that wanted to go to church. And I reluctantly said, "Okay, I'll go. (laughs) Halfway through my sophomore year, I met Jesus. I recognized that what I was doing wasn't working. Like I was terrible at being in control of my own life. Terrible. Everything I did, it was just a mess. My life was a mess. I was a sinner. And I finally understood this idea that I was a sinner in need of a savior. Jesus lived the life that I couldn't live he died the death that I deserve to die, and then he conquered death to guarantee that I could spend eternity with him. And I uh, believed in him as my Savior and stepped into that and experienced fullness of life for the first time in my life. Yes, amen to that. Um, at Texas Tech University. That's, that's another miracle in and of itself. So that happened, and, and following Jesus, all of a sudden these sins that I was living in became, I became acutely aware of them. Some of you guys may be aware of this. And so I started seeing, ooh, this is a sin. I need to really, need to really get hold of this sin as I'm following Jesus. And then, okay, I've got that one. So here's one over here. So now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on this one and get hold of this sin. Oh, wait, there that one goes again. So I would go back and forth, and I was trying to follow Jesus, but I was doing it on my own strength. And then I would come, and I would look at passages like John 10.10 10, where Jesus says, I come to give life and give it to the full And even though I knew I was a believer following Jesus, I felt a little bit bitter and frustrated at those passages because I'm like, that's not not what I'm feeling. That's not me right now. What's going on? What am I doing wrong? Because I don't feel that, but I feel like Jesus is saying, this is what I should have right now. So what's going on? What am I doing? And I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. Following Jesus for 23 years, And there are times when I still wrestle with this if I get things out of line. So I'm excited about what I'm gonna share with you today because that's what we're gonna look at. I struggled with at times, and still do if I'm not careful, what am I doing wrong? Is Jesus the answer or isn't he? Why does sometimes my life not feel like it's any different from someone who's not following Jesus, from someone who's home right now and could care less about Jesus? Shouldn't my life look different? Shouldn't my life be more full? Shouldn't I be a light to the world? What's going on? That, I know you're thinking, what does it have to do with Mark chapter 12? That, I believe, is what we're going to be looking at today in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. Now, for the record, I have listened to Blair's last two sermons. had not been with you guys the last two Sundays, but you guys have an awesome online, uh, or an awesome website, awesome, you can go re-listen to the sermons. You probably already know that. So as I was jogging the last couple weeks, I'm listening to Blair's sermons, so I know where he's at. I'm tracking with him. So we're going to pick up right now in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, and I believe we're going to see something unique in Mark, something that we don't see in the book of Matthew and the book of Luke, which also has some of the same stuff. In Matthew and Luke, Jesus is being tested like he was last week, and Blair dissected that very well, has been tested last week. I think we're going to see a guy this time who shows up and asks a genuine question. He really wants to know an answer to this question. And I think that's going to lead us into what does it look like to lead a full life right now? That's where we're going this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to take it a little bit at a time. Starting just the first verse, Mark 12, verse 28 says this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given a good answer, he asked him. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Stop right there. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? We're 21st century Christians, 21st century followers of Jesus. And if we've spent any time at all in the church, growing up in the church, when we hear the commandments, our minds should probably be conditioned to go to the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. So we go, okay, there's Ten Commandments. And if you've really been studying your Bible, you know in James, James says in the epistle of James, well if you've broken one, you've broken them all. Like sin is sin, so they're they're kinda all important. So you're thinking, okay, what's, what's the big deal about this question? But if you're a first century Jew, especially a studier of the law, these guys were studying the first five books of our Bible, the Torah, the law, or the Pentateuch, whatever you wanna call it, the Mosaic law, so much so that they had, in fact some of them had it memorized, that's a lot, they had it broken down into roughly 613 commandments. 613 commandments in the first five books. 365 were negative, 248 were positive, and they had different weight to them. So they would sit around and they would debate which ones are more important. Like if I can know the most important ones, I can line everything else up, and I can I can be on the right track, and I can discover this, this fullness of life. And so I think this guy, this teacher of the law, he heard Jesus. He saw the wisdom. He saw how he put the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees in their place. And he thought, this is my chance. Like, I'm going to ask the real question, the honest question. And I think that's what he does. And I think Jesus gives him an honest answer, a straightforward answer. In fact, he gives him an answer that's a little different even than in Matthew and in Luke. And I'm going to show you that. So this is what Jesus says, 29 through 31. He says... The most important one, answered Jesus, is this Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Okay, pause there. If I was asked, you, what, what are the great, what's the great commandment and the great commission, you would be able to, most of you, or some of you would be able to say this is the great commandment. Uh, what's the big deal? We know this. I mean, this should be a two-minute sermon, right? You love God, you love others, we're good. Let's pray, let's go home. Um, but I'm gonna ask you to lean in. I've been wrestling with this text for a couple of weeks now, and I've learned and relearned and been refreshed on some stuff that's been really, really fun for me, convicting for me, so I'm hoping that maybe I can give some new light to you guys too. In fact, if I was to give a quiz and say, hey, what's the, what's the first imperative in the great commandment according to the Gospel of Mark? I wonder how many of us would pass that quiz. I wonder how many of us would say, well, it's the great commandment, it's to love. Actually, no, that's not the first com- imperative. That's not the first imperative in Jesus' statement. Don't miss this, this is huge. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6.4, which is the Shema, which is something the religious leaders recited twice a day, Deuteronomy six four six four through five, and it's the first imperative is hear, or listen, or obey. The Greek word can be translated any of those three word ways. I like the word listen because it goes ba- it goes really well with Hebrew. The Hebrew then Shema it's Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Listen, Israel, to the one and only God. That's important for us because we live in a culture where we're not very good at listening, we're good at doing. I'm a habitual doer. I tend to find my identity in what I can do if I'm not careful. I love to-do lists so that I can check them off and as they get checked off, I'm like, oh, JW's doing good today. I'm pretty awesome today. That's, no, this is so against what we're taught, especially with our technology and the distractions, it's to stop and listen to God. The first part of the commandment in Mark is listen, why wouldn't we do this? God is the author of our life. He wrote the manual for life to not listen to God, to not slow down, spend time in his word, journal, pray, just literally have a quiet time of being with God and not doing anything, which is hard for some of us to wrap our minds around. That's what he calls us to, to not do that would be like to get something in the mail that requires assembly and not pay attention to the instructions. To throw this instruction aside saying, I don't need the instructions because I see the picture, I know how it's supposed to be. Um, A few years ago, my wife and I ordered three bookshelves uh, because I I read way too many books to her chagrin, so I I needed three bookshelves to put all my books on. I thought I needed them. Uh, we got them from Ikea. If you've ever ordered anything from Ikea, you have to, uh, some assembly, is, most assembly is required. But they have it pre-drilled and everything. So a friend of mine came over and we used the instructions, put the first one together, and then the, the second two, we used the instructions. Got the bookshelves up. They looked awesome, um, especially with all my books on them. They looked awesome. And so much so that my wife and I said, hey, let's, uh, let's get one more for our, for our daughter, Bree. So we ordered a white one for Brie, and it came in the mail, and, and, and none of the kids were home, or Bonnie wasn't home at the time, and I thought, I'm going to throw this thing together, and it's going to be up when they get home. So I, I open up the box, IKEA, I open up the box, get the instructions, I've done this three times, toss the instructions aside, and immediately go to just putting this thing up, like, I know what I'm doing, and so I'm putting it together, and I come to the very top shelf, and I thought, whoa, the manufacturer's made a mistake. <laughs> The people who created this bookshelf forgot to drill the pre-drill the holes in the top shelf, but that's okay because I've done it three times. I know what I'm doing. I have a power drill, so I just drill right down to where those holes need to be, and I put that bookshelf in. I set it up to admire it, and then I look real closely at the top and said, oh, there's those pre-drilled holes facing me instead of facing the wall. That, that, that part that's supposed to be against the wall is out, that unattractive side. In fact, I have a picture of it. Do we have our picture yeah, so there you go. Um, so I put it in backwards, and I put it in so good the wrong way that there's no way for me to take it out without destroying the wood. So I haven't painted over it, even though the shelf's been up for like over three years, and I should probably paint it white. But that's a reminder to me, or maybe we should take that down now, so we don't. nobody's gonna ever call me over to help them put together bookshelves. Um, that's a reminder to me um, to slow down and read the instructions slow down and spend time with the author of life listen to god the first part in this section that jesus tells this teacher of the law is listen listen you know this but do it listen to god and then as you listen and you draw near to him then you can move on to the next part which is to love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength now I wrestled with this too because here we are and I want to I honor our time and I could try to unpack all four of these words or I could talk about, hey, there's four words here but if we look in Deuteronomy 6, 5, there's only three words. If we look in Luke, there's four but they're in a different order and if we look in Matthew, there's only three. So what's going on here? Which ones are more important? I could explain all this. The point is um, to save us time, Jesus is saying, God is saying in Deuteronomy 6:4 or 6.5, love the Lord your God with all your everything, with your decisions, with your desires, with your thoughts, with your actions, with everything you do, your heart, mind, soul, strength, love him with everything. I think the important question to really fully understand this is what does he mean by love? What is biblical love to us? Because if we can understand that, we can do the other part. Biblical love is, is not the love that our culture preaches. You guys know this, but we're going to cover it anyway. It's not an emotion. It's a covenant commitment. It's the kind of love demonstrated by Jesus Christ when he went to the cross, the kind of love that Paul describes very beautifully in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter spoken at many weddings. I can tell you this. Jesus did not feel like going to the cross. It wasn't an emotional feeling. He wrestled with it. He said, "Dad, if there's a Plan B in the garden, you know that's, this. Now's the time. If there's another, I, I'm ad-libbing, but he's basically, if there's a, if you can take this cup from me, that would be great. But because of my covenant commitment to you, because of my love for you, and because of my love for our creation, our brothers and sisters, us, I am going to go through with the most painful death I can imagine, and then conquer death because I love you so much, and I want to reconnect, reconcile, us." our creation to us, to you, Father. That's covenant commitment. That's a powerful love. Um, what does that look like? Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey my commands. This is, as I wrestled with it, this is something that came up and I wanted to share this. love is a commitment to living our lives for God in response to his love for us. Our love to God is a commitment to, to living our lives for God in response to his love for us. 1 John 4, 16 says this, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So as we listen to God and we spend time with God and we start to enjoy (laughs) his love coming down to us, we can respond and we can be filled up with his love and we can draw near to him and as we do that, I feel like we, become, we do become more aware of our sins, which makes us feel smaller, but if we keep our focus on Him instead of on ourselves, then it makes His grace and His mercy and His power that much bigger to us. And our natural response is to worship. Worship God. I think worshipping God is the way we love God back. Do you hear that worshipping God is the way we love God back? Again, I heard Blair's sermon last week, and I know he quoted Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I'm just going to stick with verse 1. Paul says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, and you could add grace, in view of God's mercy and grace, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So as we listen and slow down and create rhythms in our life to listen to God, we start to enjoy his love and love him back in such a way that we start to live the way he originally designed us to live. And we step into this relationship. Keller, Tim Keller, if you ever read any of him, in his, actually in his, uh, it's called King's Cross. It's his, it comes from his his, uh, preaching on the book of Mark. He talks about the Father, Son, and Spirit as living in this divine dance. And as we, learn to love God and experience his love, Jesus, because of his death and resurrection, is holding out his hand, inviting us into that dance. And as we spend time with God, we step into this dance. I love that picture of this perfect dance within the Trinity, and we're invited into that as we worship and love God back. And then through that, we have the final phase that Jesus said. The second command is this, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, it's the second, not the first. I was sharing this with a friend, a very wise person, and I said, you know what? If you listen to God and you love God, you can't help but love your neighbor. Like, it's just gonna happen. And this wise person says, okay, that's great, but if that's true, why did Jesus even need to put it in here? Why did Jesus need to write the second command is this? Why did he need to quote Leviticus 19, 18? And I thought, oh my gosh, that's a really good question. And I had to chew on that for a while. And this is, this is what I believe is the answer. Order is important. Order is important. If we love our neighbor first, then we can't, we can't truly love them the way God calls us to love them. See, we think that by loving our neighbor, we're loving God. But really, it's by loving God, then we love our neighbor. Because if we love our neighbor first, and that becomes our focus, I think we tend to resort back to worldly love. I think we tend to resort back to, you know, the the world preaches, everybody should get along, religious tolerance, let's, let's love, but there's, they say that, but there's these conditions involved. So for me to focus on loving my neighbor first, someone I know first, let's say I'm trying to do this to please God, and all of a sudden I find out they have a different political view than me, and they voted for this person, like, what, you voted for, and so you start to kind of disassociate yourself, well, maybe I shouldn't spend as much time with you, maybe we don't have as much in common, or if it's your spouse who you, you, you're you in the same roof with, there's no getting away from that, your spouse, and you're loving them, and you're like, I'm going to be the greatest spouse I can be, and I'm going to meet their, their needs, and I'm going to love with them with their love language, if you've studied love languages, I'm going to give them um, uh, quality time, or um, words of affirmation or whatever their love language is, you're like all in, I'm gonna love them. And you're going at it and you're, you're loving your spouse well and all of a sudden there's nothing being reciprocated. They're like, wait a minute, they're not loving me back, but I'm loving them with their love language. So you start to pull back. Like, wait a minute, there's nothing in this for me because my spouse isn't loving me back. That's not, that's not biblical love, that's selfish. That's love of self. And I, I, I'm guilty of that. I'm sure some of us are from time to time. Um, same's true for coworkers, for teachers. for for anyone, as we love them, and when something, we don't get our way, or somebody hurts us, worldly love is like, well, if there's nothing in it for me, I'm going to pull back, but when we focus on God, and we're loving them out of our love for God, because his love is primary, then it looks different, then our neighbors look different, and by the way, something else is, if we focus on loving our neighbors first, we kind of get to dictate who our neighbors are, You know what i mean i mean that's right out of luke chapter 10 when the guy said hey jesus who's my neighbor and jesus made him acknowledge that the samaritan who he would hate was the neighbor in the story so if we love others first we can kind of dictate who our neighbors are but if we're loving god first not only we loving them correctly but we're loving like right now everybody in this room is our neighbor we are neighbors because we are in proximity to each other how are we loving each other well let me throw another one at you on the way home when you're driving in your car, the person to the left and the right driving in their car in front and behind you, they're your neighbor. Have you ever thought about that? So how are you loving your neighbor well when you drive? Like, are you using your blinkers to communicate well? Are you, are you giving them mean looks when they cut you off? Are you being like you exercising some grace? Are you, are you texting while you drive when there's a family next to you? Is that being, is that loving your neighbor Well, I'm just saying, I, I wrestle with this. But um, that's, that's, I believe that. I believe you. There's a way to love your neighbor well even when you drive. if you're running late and you left the house late and you're mad because everybody's driving too slow. <laughs> is that really their fault? Can't you still love them well? Um, and as far as spouses go, you're gonna go through times when you're loving your spouse with all you've got and you're not getting anything back. That's just, we go through seasons of life. We're called to love unconditionally and keep loving our spouse towards Jesus no matter what. And I can't speak for wives because I'm not a wife, I'm a husband, but in regard to wives coming in and sharing problems, husbands go into fix-it mode the majority of the time, which is great. Some things we can fix, but no matter whether we can fix it or not, a huge part of loving our wife well is listening. And sometimes that's the only love they need, is listening. We can't fix everything. Um, that's just one example. If you're, if you're a young person, how do you love your brother or sister well if they stole your toy or, or broken your toy or are not sharing a toy you want to play with? How do you love your parents well when you feel like they're not being fair to you? How do you love your teachers well if they give you a bad grade or don't communicate well? Or what if they even fail you and you can't play a sport that you want to play or do stock show or something like that? If you're loving God first, You can learn to exercise grace and you can learn to exercise mercy because if you're loving God first and listening to God, you're living out of a full life. That doesn't mean it's always easy. There's sacrifice involved, but you're living out of a full life for God. It requires keeping these things in order. And this is the cool part. So. Verses 32 through, I mean, it's all cool, I love scripture. Verses 32 through 34 are not in Matthew or Luke. And this is why I believe this is not a test. This is a exchange between a guy who really wants to know an answer. The uh, teacher of the law says this. He says, well said, teacher, the man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all of your heart, with all of your understanding and with all of your strength And to love others, or love your neighbor as yourself, is more important, listen to this, than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of heaven. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. (laughs) That's pretty cool. So um, don't miss this. Not only did the guy agree with Jesus, But he said something I think that would have silenced everybody. He said, not only are you right, teacher, but this is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Guys, that's huge. They lived in a system, a religious system, that revolved around burnt offerings and sacrifices. The Pharisees regarded ritual observances as more important than attitude and ceremony as more important than morality. But Jesus says listening and loving God, are attitude, And loving others, our morality, is more important than any of this other stuff. This is where it's at, and this guy agrees with him. Jesus was countercultural. He made a difference. And the way he calls us to love is countercultural. It's making a difference. And because he said this to this teacher of the law, because he saw what he answered and the way he said, Jesus said, you are not far from the kingdom of heaven. I think that, too, was a powerful statement because the audience would have seen this teacher of the law as somebody like, hey, if somebody's going to heaven, if somebody's in, it's this guy. He knows the first five books. He knows the Mosaic law. He knows scripture. And for Jesus to to not say, yes, you got it, you're in, but for him to say, you're not far from the kingdom of heaven. You're not far from getting there. You're on the right track. I think that plus the way he handled the test that y'all talked about last week is the reason people were kind of afraid to ask him questions anymore. Like, he had answered everything well. He'd passed the test, and now he's told this guy, you're you're almost there, but you're not there yet. When I was reading this, I thought of Dave, I've been through Dave Ramsey course three times. Um, but I can remember, I may have been through four. Um, I'm getting older. So, but one of my favorite Dave Ramsey's quotes is, winning at money is 80% behavior and 20% know-how. I feel like, in some ways, that's what Jesus is saying to this guy. You, you have the know-how, you have the 20%, you know what to do. You know the commandments and the order. Now go and do it. Go and live this way. So I may have, uh, there's some of you that's like, okay, this is good. I heard some things I haven't heard before and this was fun to look through Mark and look through the great commandment in this way. Some of you may think, I've, I've already got this. My question is, are we living it out? I know I'm living it out when I'm living a full life. And when I'm not, I know that something's out of whack. Are we listening to God through slowing down, through having these rules of life, these rhythms in our life of pausing and creating time for God. And then is that driving us to love and worship God more to the point where we're loving others more? I want to conclude with this as I was writing my notes, this came to me and I thought, ooh, I want to write that down. That sounds good. So this is how I'll conclude. Hope hope it sounds good to you guys. We can't love God more by loving others first. We can't love God more by loving others first. We love others more by loving God first. Amen. We love others more by loving God first, and, when we, and we can't love a God we don't listen to. Amen. So we must listen to God, grow in our love for Him, and then we'll love others in a way that'll make a difference. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Son, for your Spirit. Thank you for this church body. Thank you for the simplicity yet the profound answer that Jesus gave us. Teach us how to listen to you, how to slow down, give us the discipline and the desire to do that. Help us to realize when we're out of whack and that you do, that Jesus does promise a full life now that comes from drawing near to you, listening to you, loving you, responding to your love, and in turn loving the world in a way that changes them the way you've changed us. May we do that, Father, not for ourselves, but for your glory. And may we keep our eyes always fixed on you through your son, Jesus, by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.